Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth podcast, your environment, climate change and sustainability podcast. I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And this week we are going to be talking about our little furry friends. I'm sure everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. That was such a descriptive, yeah. Let's go with nocturnal, monochrome, striped faced friends. Does that narrow it down a bit more? Very, very much. Very Would much you get so. it from that? Would you get it from that? What else would it be? This is a good point. Yes, badgers. Burrowing zebras. <laughs> no, that's much better. That's much better. <laughs> We're talking about uh, the UK's favourite burrowing zebras, badgers. Yes. <laughs> no, we are talking about um, badgers. Um, do you want to start us off with any badger facts? You said you've got some cool ones. Oh, I do. I do have one badger fact to get us started. So the earliest traces of badgers in Britain dates back to around three quarters to half a million years ago, which does mean that badgers actually once lived in the wild in Britain with wolves, brown bears, arctic foxes and wolverines. And outlived them all. So which is the How real is king of the animals? Yeah. yeah. It's the badger, the humble badger. <laughs> Did you know the badger is actually one of the very few um, predators of hedgehogs? Yes. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't. Well, I knew they ate hedgehogs, but I didn't know that they were one of the hedgehogs' only predators. I mean, I can't really think of anything else that does because they, because of the long claws, um, and they're quite thick skin. Mm. Um, they're quite good at getting in under the spines. Um, no, I do like hedgehogs. So it's kind of a sad thought, but yeah, we are um, we are running low on hedgehogs in the UK. I think we're down to about thirty percent of the population, aren't we? We're... Yeah. We but actually, it's, this is probably a good point. point to jump in and say that a lot of people think it's because of badgers, and it's not because of badgers, it's because of us. It's us. It's always us. If there's one yeah. recurrent theme to this podcast, it's <laughs> always us. If, if you didn't know that by now, you haven't been listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they only, they only eat hedgehogs, actually, when other food sources are quite scarce, aren't they? Yeah, Predominantly, really, they eat um, like worms and grubs, and they go snuffling through the through the undergrowth and through yeah, the Yeah, they're really opportunistic omnivores. I've seen Ooh, someone describe them as. Lovely alliteration. Uh, so I just eat like anything um, or nearly anything given the chance if they if they have to. And apparently they can eat several several hundred earthworms every night as well. They're pretty cool. Yeah, because um, one of the reasons that most people in the UK haven't actually seen them isn't necessarily because they don't live near some, but they might not. Um, it's because they are nocturnal. They emerge just after dusk. Um mm-hmm. And they'll kick around, uh, hunting, feeding, and playing. They're actually super sociable um, until until just before dawn, and then they'll um, burrow their ways back into their sets, which are their kind of underground lairs. Yeah, I, I mean, we uh, back at my parents' house, um, we had a hole in the fence, and that was courtesy of a badger. And really? having boarded it up, uh, we had another hole in the fence. <laughs> oh, they were quite persistent. You clearly really had lots of worms in your garden. Uh, very possibly, but. Um, you have much better badger spotting success, just by what you told me just before I the, do. this recording. Oh my gosh. So in preparation for this episode, because I'm I'm very dedicated to you, my dear listener, um, I took my camera trap out to a, a point which I've seen, I've walked past a couple of times really near me and I thought, okay, that looks to me like that might be a badger set. And so I've left my camera trap up for a couple of nights and we've got some footage of badgers. We've definitely Yay. got badgers at this place. Um, and I've got a couple of um, little short clips of two of them playing, one of them eating a root, one of them getting scared and running back into the set. And I think in one of them, I caught a glimpse of possibly a cub as well, a slightly smaller one. So I'll post some of that on uh, on the Instagram. But oh my gosh, it was amazing. They're really So you've cool. just gotten really good at spotting badger sets. 
yeah, I mean, these big old holes in the earth, they're really hard to miss. <laughs> they're, I, mean, they're, I mean, they're not subtle at all. Like, they're, they're quite big creatures because they can grow to like up to, I mean, just under a metre if they... Um, they reach kind of their maximum size. So they need some quite big entrances to their sets. And their sets can be like these like burrows underground can be up to like 50, even 100 metres um, in, I want to say length, but I think they've, because they have different entrances, um, mm. it's more of like a spider web of a, a network. And network's the right, the right description for it. A little yeah. network of uh, underground tur- tunnels and burrows. So, so to spot a badger set... Um... I, I think, well, obviously, bigger hole on the ground, as you said. Yeah, yeah. And then they, they, they have a lot of bedding, don't they? Well, I say bedding. It's not like the feathery kind. It's like uh, the leaves <laughs> and stuff. So they usually have a big pile of that nearby. Oh, do um, they? Oh. And apparently they also have, dig a completely separate hole for uh, as their toilet. Um, so they're very clean. And within the sets themselves, apparently they've got like five or six different chambers. So they're a bit oh. of, uh, you know, modellers. Modelers. What was, what's the word? No, I was say like uh, architects. <laughs> architects, yeah, but yeah, just, we'll cut that bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're really cool. They're really cool. Um, but we've we've got enough topic. Well, we've given you a nice introduction there uh, as to what a badger is. Uh, on the off chance you didn't know, uh, maybe you've enjoyed some of our fun facts. But we've we've missed our regular start to the episode, Lloyd. We're going to have to backtrack. We're going to backpedal to what one good thing have you done this week before we get too into badgers. Mm. No, um, unfortunately, I yeah, I I hate hate it hate it when this happens. But unfortunately, I can't think of anything that I've done this week. Um, it's a bit like new mm. um, that I can sort of say on top of the things I already do. It's really hard to keep um, coming up with new ones. Yes, they they require um, ever more effort at the, at the risk of sounding lazy. But um, you always need to. Mm. search out things not not search out things to do but i don't know i'm not sure what i'm trying to say I, i'm trying to weasel no out I, of, I can um... i completely get you <laughs> I, I i i've been in been in that that place myself so my one good thing this week again is something that i've done before i'm just claiming it as a new one because it's a different shop so i went to my local refill shop today which is only just opened so it's like oh it's not that i've never been to a refill shop before but this new one, does that constitute as a new one good thing yes, that I've done? It does. I don't know. Yeah, especially does with it? lockdown ending, it's uh, supporting the local businesses. Yeah, okay, great. We'll, we'll put a big fat tick <laughs> next to that one. But I did also last week decide to take this feature to Instagram because I'm always running out of ideas. So I thought, well, maybe if I post about it every Wednesday, so when the podcast comes out and I say what I've done that week, A, I can share it with more people, and B, people can tell me what they've been doing um, and tell you what they've been doing because. God knows, I'm running out of ideas. We've been doing this podcast for, what, a year and a half now? Like, we've ticked off a lot of the quite easy, low-hanging fruit, I think. Yeah, um, I I, I think the main things for me to do now, really, to to have the biggest impact are, uh, well, the main thing is probably go vegetarian, um, Mm. which I'm sort of, I I feel like I'm building up to because uh, my partner's vegetarian and she's thinking about going vegan um oh, right. so, that so does i naturally make it easier eat, if eat you less and less it as a meat. team yeah 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 so I, I i don't eat that much meat anyway um so i'm, I'm wondering whether to take that next step and and commit to not mm. having it at all but, but yeah we'll see we'll see could you go so far as having like 
five days vegetarian and then two days which you could be flexible on to, to uh, yeah but I, 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 I sort of do that anyway to be honest um, oh, okay. I, I'll tend to have like a couple of weeks where I don't eat meat at all and then I just have like the odd, the odd day maybe I'm getting a takeaway with someone or I'm, I'm, I'm out with friends maybe well I feel like that's yeah. alright I, I don't I don't feel like I feel like you've already done the bulk of that one then I think that the odd uh, slip up in inverted commas is absolutely fine if everyone was adopting that same practice the bulk of the good benefit that we want to see from most people going vegetarian or vegan would still happen. Oh, well, a lot, a lot of people, you. well, a lot of people associate <laughs> food with comfort, and um, yes, as, as particularly if you've grown up eating meat or certain types of food, to have those taken away from you and suddenly become contraband, um, where you can never ever have them, means that you can't ever reap the benefit or the slight reward of having that comfort mm-hmm. food every now and again and yeah, yeah, we're not true. you know when you and i aren't asking people to like live in a cave without any modern technology and have no impact on the environment whatsoever are we we're asking people just to be better so i think yes. i'll forgive you the odd bacon sandwich or the odd takeaway yeah, if, thanks <laughs> I, well that's i mean that's that, that's i mean i maybe other people have different opinions but that's my thoughts on i know it's diets. true um, we, anyway. we, we've said before it's a it's a bit of a spectrum isn't it that sort of mm. thing yeah, we we were eating less and less, and then I think actually during lockdown maybe our habits have slipped. Um, but actually potentially because it's comfort food, actually that yep, yep. might even be what it is. But now things are getting easier, and we can actually go to our local butchers and things without feeling quite so terrified. Well, I mean, who knows? I, but by I the time this comes um, out, we might be locked down again. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? I mean, <laughs> but, um, I, I I definitely yeah. feel um, like I am more comfortable in the kitchen cooking since I've eaten less meat because mm. um, you know you, you can't just slap a burger on the under the grill or something um, in the same way you've got to actually uh, have a little think think about what you're putting together but mm. um, yeah uh, so I, I, I promise I'll, I'll um, seek out some more things for the next episode um, to uh, boost my green credentials <laughs> but um, until then we'll, we'll hop back to badges let's, let's think about badges that was a nice little detour though <laughs> A detour into the greenification of our lives, and now we back all like a little little chat, don't we? <laughs> back to badges. Um, so we always have a little think about the threats that whatever our topic is facing or is associated with. So to gear up into this episode, there is obviously one major threat that badgers are facing, and we will dive into that. But just to take a small detour, there are other things, being, for example. Traffic. 50,000 badgers every year are killed on the roads in the UK. That's quite a lot of, that's a lot of badgers. I'm surprised it's that many. I mean, it's, I'm pretty sure most people listening in the UK um, would quite easily think of a time they've driven past a, a dead badger on the road, sadly. Mm, yeah. um, maybe even hit one, I don't know. Um, I, I haven't. Um, no. But... But yeah, I'm surprised it's that many because I think it's something around a quarter of a million badgers in the UK anyway. Mm. So 50,000 a year is, um, that's a big chunk. It is. And it's because badgers have really poor eyesight and they're milling around at dawn and dusk anyway. And we're we're fragmenting their habitat so often, especially with new developments and new roads being built, which aren't necessarily paying attention to where the local badger sets are. We're fragmenting their habitats. We're causing them to cross these roads and these paths that would have traditionally been safe paths for them are now no longer safe paths. 
um, and they're going to have to go further afield to go to their normal um, like foraging sites mm. and things. Um, I mean, so yeah, you, unfortunately, you say the badger's got the bad eyesight, but I think in that situation, it's probably the uh, the drivers as well. I do, yeah, I do wonder how you. Hit, I mean, I've never been in a situation. I've never seen a like a live badger on the road. Uh, unfortunately, I've seen many squashed badgers on the road. Mm. Um, and I know I don't know how fast moving they are, but they're pretty massive. Like they can do some serious damage to your car, which just shows how much. Like surely you can see. I would have thought. Maybe maybe I'm just being really ignorant because I've never actually experienced a badger <laughs> running across the road in front of me. But um, but I guess I mean you know people hit all sorts accidentally, don't they? So yeah, I guess maybe yes. maybe they're just not they're not shuffling to get out of the way very fast. And if if you're coming around a corner and it's dark. You know, they're grey and black and white. They're not actually, I don't know how well they show up. Yeah, but. true, true. So car strikes are one. Uh, are there any others? Um... Oh, there was one that surprised me actually with my research, which makes total sense once I read about it, but I hadn't thought of. Um, they can actually be poisoned by pesticides. Oh, that's, so, yeah, that's not something I would have instinctively thought of, but... no. So a lot of them will live in kind of woodlands, um, potentially surrounding farmland. Um, in this instance, if they are burrowing around farmland and that farmland is using pesticides, those pesticides obviously leach into the soil. And what a badger's doing, they're hunting by snuffling through soil, they're digging through soil, they're constantly exposed to these pesticides. And they're also eating earthworms and grubs and things that are eaten in the soil so not only are they kind of facing the pesticides themselves everything they're eating has also got pesticide in them and that can bioaccumulate up in the badges and again cause cause some serious issues so we've got our, our fun friend bioaccumulation again that that word i know i know that, that word we like to say but always has bad uh, implications <laughs> never does well um, never does well but why are we talking about badges today in particular lloyd well, I imagine it's 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 the the elephant in the room, um, culling uh, the giant the word badger in the room. Yeah, yeah, the giant giant badger in the room, culling. Unfortunately, it's well, it's it's not just been in the news this week. Of course, it's been going on for um, decades. It's uh, a very controversial topic, isn't it? Yeah, it's back in the news. Um, so so badger culling. Is something that's been going on for a really, really long old time. And this is founded on the basis that badgers can be a vehicle through which bovine tuberculosis, which can kill cows, uh, reaches cows. Um, so they can make a whole herd of cattle and in a, like sick uh, and in effect completely ruin a farmer's livelihood. Because if one cattle is caught with bovine tuberculosis, they have to kill the entire herd. Um, that's that's just how it is. So because badgers have become the like um, most prominent uh, scapegoat, I might use, I'm going to, yeah, I'm backing it. I'm going to use the word scapegoat um, for the transmission of bovine tuberculosis. They've become the thing that everyone in the farming community is requesting, not everyone, but a lot of the farming community are requesting that they're killed. Which makes which does make sense if you look at it from their point of view of this could damage my entire livelihood. Yep. And culling is quite an obvious um, tool yeah. to reach for. Um, yeah. You don't want badgers, you think, you you'd know, kill them. Th these animals that are carrying things, we have to get rid of them. Mm. The, the problem is the scientific evidence doesn't really support that. Yeah, so there was an independent review in 2018 which looked at the government's plans right, to deal with bovine tuberculosis and found that 
it was almost more of a problem when farms themselves were not being biosecure. They were allowing things in and and there was a frequent trading of animals and livestock and cattle. Um, So because the cattle actually were being moved around and being shared, they themselves were more often likely Mm -hmm. to be the vehicle of disease. And often the, the, the test that is done on cattle doesn't always show up in the early stages of when a cow has bovine tuberculosis. Um, and um, so basically this review was presented to the government uh, and it, it recommended that actually vaccination and um, was of badgers was much likely to be more impactful than culling. Um, so, yeah, yes. in March 2020, the government said, all right, then let's let's phase out the badger cull over the next couple of years and we're going to support badger vaccination and surveillance and we're going to incentivize the biosecurity improvements that farms could be doing yes and then unfortunately um, to which there was a great round of applause <laughs> yeah yeah exactly everyone said finally um that's listened to scientific evidence but then unfortunately uh, last week at the time of recording the government's gone back on that again and it said culling will continue Yes, and they've actually extended the current culling yes, regulations in the in England to eleven further locations, which could, uh, somebody estimated, lead to uh, the continued culling of up to sixty thousand badgers this year. Yes. Now, this is a topic where, um, when so we decided we do badgers, and then culling was quite an obvious component of that. And when I had it in my head that I was going to start doing the research, I was sort of already anticipating in my head to come on this podcast and say, "Oh, it's it's quite." Um, uh, it's, it's not a clear answer one way or the other. Um, some people feel strongly about vaccination. Some people feel strongly about culling. Um, it's quite a delicate issue. But actually, the, quite quickly, uh, we sort of form the picture that the scientific consensus is overwhelmingly that culling isn't necessary um, mm. and might not even be doing anything or might actually be making it worse in some cases. Mm. So I should say that, first of all, it seems that barrier, uh, barriers badgers can uh, pass on. Uh, bovine tuberculosis to cattle that is a thing yeah we're not but denying the problem that. is to what extent so one paper i found says that only five to six percent of intra-animal transmissions of bovine tuberculosis come is from a badger to a cow mm. and the rest is made up of cattle to cattle transmission yeah well also there are other animals that can and there transmit. are other animals yeah it's not just so there's also uh moles Fox, mink, rats, ferrets, deer. We're not culling those, are we? Yep, exactly. And even more interestingly, I found that there's uh, quite a lot of evidence that um, from from a paper where or a study where they uh, GPS tagged badgers, they found that during culling, what happens is other badgers, because badgers are quite uh, get into groups, and they're quite territorial, and they're very they social. fight and they mark their areas. They're very social animals. They're really cool. Uh, when a lot of them get killed, other badgers that aren't in their group necessarily will then venture into their areas uh, because mm. all of a sudden, ah, oh, there's no one defending that one and there's all this food that I can take. So there's a risk then of, if those badgers do have TB, of spreading it even further, perhaps. So you've just actually potentially made the problem worse because now their ranges are expanding, whereas the badgers you culled might not have had TB in the first place. These new badgers coming in might do. 
Yeah, and that, exactly. And there's been an argument that if you're going around shooting badges, which is the normal method for um, culling, um, you don't know necessarily how many badges are in that set. Like you said, you might fragment that population, just kill half of them and leave the others, which may or may not have TB, to go and change their behaviour yeah. and roam somewhere else and spread it. But one of the other things that was mentioned was, well, okay, well, if you're trying to catch the entirety of a set population, why don't we trap them? And if you trap them, they then don't tend to shoot them. They kill them by injection. So why are we... You've got the badger there. You've got a needle ready. Why not inoculate at this time? Yes. Why are you not vaccinating? Why do you need to kill the badger? That's that's something that blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. Now, the weird thing is the government, um, well, I say the government, uh, governments over the years have invested money in research and development of badger TB vaccinations. So mm. it's not that much. So I think the figure I've got is like from the mid 1990s, 27 million pounds have been invested, which really isn't much um compared to many other <laughs> many other uh, of things yard markers we might use but there it seems to be this like acknowledgement all the way through that yeah vaccination could be a thing um, and is a thing but the problem is it's been so patchy in its implementation so um the main vaccination method is um, injecting them as you said and it has been shown to reduce the severity and the progression of bovine tuberculosis uh, in wild badgers and also captive badgers uh, they tested on. And they passed legislation, or legislation was passed in 2010, which um, actually let lay vaccinators, so you didn't have to be veterinarily, veterinarily trained? You didn't have to be a vet um, <laughs> to, to carry it out, basically. Oh, cool. Uh, as, as, as long as you were suitably trained, you could mm. vaccinate a badger. So this meant that um, groups like the Wildlife Trust, the Badger Trust, uh, could get certified and they could train people well enough to, to vaccinate. And um, I think at the moment there is also an, uh, a, a type of vaccine that's been trialled which can be taken orally, so you could put it into um, food, potentially, but that's not licensed yet. So the main one is still injecting. Mm, that'd be interesting. Um, so in 2014, I found this really interesting. DEFRA had a scheme where they would vaccinate something called barrier populations. Mm. So in England and Wales, you can get uh, it's like it's not a constant rate of bovine tuberculosis everywhere. You get certain areas that are high um, infection spread or high rate of uh, spread of BTB, and you got some areas that have a low rate of uh, infection. So what they do is try and vaccinate the badger populations in between these to so have a barrier between so there's less chance of it spreading from the higher to the lower areas mm. okay um and that saw um quite good success but uh apparently sorry i'm giving you a real like history timeline of this uh 2016 and 2017 interesting the manufacturer of uh this vaccine um had real supply issues so it really limited the number that were vaccinated um so when you vaccinate badgers uh, what they'll quite often do is uh, step one, they'll survey an area um, that they think they'd like to vaccinate in. They identify how many sets there are and then sort of take a good guess based on sets of how many individual badges there are. They put down a couple of baits, a couple of traps to um, see how many bites they get. Uh, a good tip for people listening, actually, is uh, peanuts. Is it peanuts? They are really good for some baiting peanuts. Them in? Yeah. Yeah. If you want to attract some badgers into your garden, pop up a camera trap like I did. You got to lure them in with peanuts, apparently. Brilliant. I did and not bread know this. and raisins, apparently. I heard raisins also. Raisins. Oh, I've never yeah. Peanut. I don't know why. Um, so they baked a couple and see what the uptake is, and then 
then they know, okay, great, the badgers are here and they will respond to the bait. So they will then start putting more traps around and then uh, what they'll probably do in one area is is literally just vaccinate over two nights. Two two nights in a row is, is enough to vaccinate a good pop, uh, uh, percentage of the population. Oh, wow. Um, and they just like go with a little needle through the bars, bless them, and then release them and they mark them as well um, just in case they recapture them at a later time. And doing this... Um, I found a paper which said that on average, forty uh, percent of traps will um, get get a badger in it. So that's I think that's quite a good success rate. Actually, forty percent. Yeah. Uh, four four in ten traps will will uh, trap a badger, and this leads to around about sixty uh, percent of badgers in an area where, that you are vaccinating in will get vaccinated. 60%. That's quite, that might not sound that's, like a lot to some right. people, but 60% is really good, especially when we're talking about barrier populations, like I said before. Mm, mm. And then there's another paper. Sorry, I went on a bit of a Google Scholar. Hey, you got so, your academic um, reading so, down. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised as well. Uh, it's just interesting because another paper in the Republic of Ireland said that around, it looks like around 30% of a population uh, vaccinated could be enough to drive down TB. Well, there we go. Where's our sixty percent at? Yeah, and that's our sixty percent. And then if you link that back to what we were saying earlier, where only around five to six percent of uh, TB transmission is badger to cattle, you've driven that five to six percent down, way down, and you're really giving it a bottleneck into the cattle population. Yeah, without the need to cull um, an absolute lump of yeah. um, some of our most iconic British wildlife. Yeah, yeah, so I guess a lot of people are then wondering, well, why aren't we vaccinating more? Uh, it's a good question precisely the question we um, want to ask <laughs> interestingly it seems like uh farming and rural communities are very skeptical mm. about the vaccination process and they need some convincing um so they need uh better communication i suppose of the um benefits and how easy it is um to do because like you it's said not, if you're it's already not notoriously them, a community that's 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 got open ears for listening as well which is also quite tough yeah yeah. Because well, because like we said, if their entire economy and way of life is based on one like massive herd of cattle, and then something poses a threat to it, of course, I completely understand. Of course, you're going to be very resentful towards the potential threat. But um, yeah, I think communication is always essential in terms of, especially with scientific like science progressing, um, mm-hmm. for it to able to have any impact. Um, communication is always essential with the communities that it needs to be involved in it but um yeah i think i think as well something that crossed my mind while we were researching was uh, particularly this year obviously disease transfer um and the state of biodiversity and the state of um human populations and biodiversity has come up obviously quite a lot this year <laughs> in stories um and you know if we're having such prevalent disease issues in large numbers of cattle um or indeed in any wildlife population maybe we need to have a think about how we're handling those populations if they're yeah. in such a high density that disease can rip through them i don't know maybe that's maybe not necessarily the best um and and i know that's the farming community will probably hate me for saying that because it's you know, I haven't offered them a solution for not having the biggest cattle herd they could possibly get into their facilities. But I don't know. It's it's one of those things, isn't it? If we're having that many issues, it's because we're not doing things in yep, the way that's best for nature. I, I agree. I mean, um, yeah, uh, th- th- there was another. Sorry to, to go back to the science. It's just um, 
There was another paper where they uh, collared badges in cattle as well, and oh. with little contact tracers. So if uh, oh, that's very topical, isn't it? <gasps> Track and um, trace, like the uh, collars. That works for um, one community. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The the collars like ping um, if they go get really to another collar. So they collared some little badges. They collared the cattle, and the badges tended to stay at least fifty meters away from the cattle, and they never over thousands of nights of data, they never had one badger to cattle ping. Oh, God, you know, I've heard of this use of technology um, with these cats, um, but I've never heard of it. Use- so the context I've seen it in is keeping cattle in a certain area of a landscape yeah. without having to put up fences because you can bury um, wires or you can use like a GPS tracked uh, digital fence, as it were, and the, the cattle collar will ping when it gets near its boundary. So it will stay within its region, but you don't have to put up fences to mar a landscape. Yeah, so, yeah. It, for example, if they're grazing somewhere as a conservation technique. But I've never heard of it between animals. That's a really interesting use of that. That between sounds species, brilliant. Yeah. It, it's been yeah, proven really to be really cool. effective. Cool. Yeah, and uh, th- th- that was what they show. So literally every bit of research I've read personally, um, yeah, seems to put put water on that, you know, thought that culling yeah. is really necessary. And earlier you were saying that um, some stats have been misused, right, about the effect of culling. There was one interesting thing that I did read, um, which was, I think it was the National Farmers Union quoted a statistic. I think it was in Gloucestershire of um, maybe it was last year. They said, oh, well, we've had 66% less instances of cattle getting bovine tuberculosis than we did last year. And that's because in this region, we have been doing badger culling. But actually, if you look at it a little bit further, the year before that, they were already up 106% on the year before that. So naturally, you're going to see a fall. If you've, yeah. if you've gone up 106%, you're going to see a fall. So by just quoting that one statistic of 66% um, decrease in isolation, yeah. you are not painting the whole picture. You're not creating a truthful landscape. Um, yeah, and I found that quite disappointing. And my thoughts were, if you're having to clutch at those straws... Mm. is yeah. the science on if, your side if i no. um eat, eat the national farmers union are gonna hate week, us by the end of this and then <laughs> yeah if, if i eat three burgers a day for a week and then uh, the next week i say oh i've cut my fat down by by half this week it's like mm, still not great is it mm, um yeah i'm not i'm not sure why that was the first uh thought that came to my head but i just no but it's, it's a good reminder for everyone to look at statistics through that that lens of okay, well, what does this actually mean in context rather than just yep. plucking a number out of nowhere? Because actually that's that's a huge problem with media outlets and with news, um, just pulling pulling a number that sounds right to match the headline sometimes without enough context. But um, What I was going to say as well, first of all, was that um, we really didn't come into this episode like with a bias. I mean, I was sort of like sceptical about Badger Culling, but I was like, oh, well, you know, they're, they're doing it. There must be some evidence for it. Um no, I know. I mean, I saw badgers this weekend and I was and wildly just... overexcited, but I, again, came into this thinking, well, there must be a reason for the culling. Let's explore that. And um, explore quite quickly, we have done. Everything I saw just seems, at best, uncertain. Mm. Um, so if, if there's any, you know, if any listeners um, take issue with the way we've interpreted <clears throat> what, what we've interpreted, then please do get in touch and... Um, uh, maybe point us to some other resources that maybe um, have a different point of view. Um, we'd love to love to read them, but for now, yeah, it seems that uh, there are better ways. Mm. I think, uh, as usual, we found ourselves aligning with the 
uh, views of people like the wildlife trusts, haven't we? That um, yes. seems to be our our natural bedfellows in many issues. Which I think is, is such a such a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we you know we like to always kind of say you know how you can get involved and, and to help out with these issues and this is this is one of those ones where it's super interesting so we've really enjoyed researching this episode but there aren't necessarily um a million things that you can do in your daily daily lives to um to get involved and save the badgers as it were but i mean we found a few things we always do our digging for yeah, you listeners we, we always try um so the most direct one uh perhaps is that if you go on the wildlife trust website uh they have ways you can get involved with them because they do a lot of vaccinations uh, a lot of vaccination programs and you can uh, donate money directly to them directly for vaccination programs and you can donate directly to a particular area so you can say oh i want to donate money to the um essex wildlife trust vaccination program i want to donate money to the somerset vaccination program uh, which is quite nice to keep in your local area if, if you're so inclined uh, and they've got a nice little rundown where I don't know, £10 will buy um, peanuts for baiting their traps. So <laughs> £50 will be enough to uh, vaccinate a badger. That sort of thing. It's quite nice. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or I suppose you can also get involved directly with Wildlife Trust, can't you? With uh, You can. You can become a member. You can volunteer with them. I don't know whether you're able to physically volunteer on the vaccination program, because as you said, people need some training. But yeah, have a look. I, I, you depends. can still get involved with what they do. Yeah. So beyond that... Uh, Right to your MP is uh, one we always we always say. Um, yep, if you have a look at statistics in your area and you find that you are unimpressed, get in touch with your MP. I mean, that's always our response these days. You can we yes, might as well just yeah. have that as our tagline to make change. Contact decision makers. Um, Go down their office. Yeah. <laughs> you can also, if you are, if you find yourself driving at dawn, dusk time, or in the middle of the night, and you're on. Uh, roads in in and around the countryside i mean maybe take a little slower and just keep your eyes out for badgers and if you do kill a badger <laughs> or if you come across a um a dead badger on the side of the road you can actually get in touch and let the um the badger trust let them know where it is you spotted them because they're mapping oh, wow. across the uk hotspots so that they can work out where to focus their campaigning efforts for things like um, badger tunnels and highways, because uh, if there are particularly busy roads, which badger are always tunnels. yeah, which uh. are always affecting badgers, they can uh, learn where best to put their time and efforts. Which I thought was was quite cool. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And you can also snitch on your neighbours. Um, it's actually it's a it's a genuine offence to tamper with an occupied badger set or build or develop around them yeah. without sorting out a way that doesn't affect them negatively. They're protected under law. <laughs> it's amazing. Ironically, badgers are one of the most protected animals in the country. Don't even what even how are we even having this episode? Like <laughs> they're so they're it's, so well it's protected. So weird, isn't and it? Yeah, I've, I've never. Yeah, I can't remember an episode where we've come into it with such a clear cut. Like, why? Why do we even need to discuss why are we doing this? <laughs> I know it's it's bonkers, isn't it? We've both really like really become team badger over this. But um, yeah. yeah, you can you can snitch on your neighbours if you see anyone um, tampering with the badger set, or you're concerned about how some development is happening, and you know there's badgers in the nearby woods or whatever. Um, you can 
report them. You can physically report them to the RSPB or to the police. Lloyd's just put a filter on his face and I can't concentrate. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you looked I, I, like I, a moomin. Oh, it was brilliant. Sorry, listeners. I can't use I my really laptop I really tried to make it through that last sentence. <laughs> I can't use my laptop today because the, the audio jacks uh, messed up. So I'm on my phone and I've just sort of realised that they're like I've got access to all these filters. Oh, so my exciting. gosh. Is that the only filter I've got? Sorry. Um, badges. And- <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Anyway, I think that's that's probably us then, isn't it? <laughs> probably a good place to end it. Probably, probably ranted and raved enough. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for making it this far. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, don't forget to uh, do many things. First and foremost, leave us a lovely five-star review because everyone and their mums has a podcast these days and we will never get found by new listeners <laughs> if yep, you don't we, we are not, help us out. Um, if you like us. Graham Norton or Al Murray or Ed Miliband or whoever <laughs> you can think of. We, Literally, <laughs> every celebrity in lockdown went, oh, what am I going to do for work? I'm going to start a podcast. And oh, I then know. How dare they? Old independents like us, we're never going to get anywhere. And all we're trying to do is change the world, aren't we, Lloyd? God. Yeah, I know. All we're trying to do is save the planet. Um, so, yeah, pop pop over and do that. And you can also get in touch with us and see lots of cool videos of my nearby badges on our social media. So, Lloyd, we're on Instagram at? Uh, for What It's Earth podcast. And Twitter? Uh, what Earth pod. And Facebook? Uh, for What It's Earth podcast. Yes. And you can drop us an email at forwardisearthpod at gmail.com. And as always, these are always our own views. They are nothing to do mm-hmm. with anyone for whom we work or may be associated with. Dun, dun, I have dun. been in full um, control of my faculties. Uh, hey, they're all <laughs> mine. I formed my own thoughts. I have my own little spider diagram. I can prove it to you if you like. Uh- and I have most of my marbles left, so I think we're doing yes. okay. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see you next time. Bye. Great, bye. Bye.